After winding through a stretch of wooded lined road, I was finally here. I pulled into what I thought was the driveway, but realized it was a perpendicular street. I had overshot the actual driveway and awkwardly K-turned back onto the road before finding the mailbox with the right address. I left my house earlier that Friday afternoon, driving four hours to my hotel. That Saturday, Tom Quinn, a friend and one of the co-founders of the Empire State Star Wars Collectors Club, would host TomCon at his home. TomCon was the first larger Empire State meetup for the year and marked the club's 10th anniversary. I drove upstate a day earlier to meet up with Tyler Fedigan. Tyler's also a club member and lives about a half hour from Tom in Corinth, New York. He invited me to have dinner with him and his wife Jacqueline and to finally see his collection firsthand. But most importantly, we were going to see one another in person again. In the week leading up to the event, we tried to figure out the last time we were in the same room. August of 2019, at the tail end of the summer, over Labor Day weekend at the Empire State's annual event. August of 2019. The realization shocked both of us. That gap was not by choice. The pandemic swept in a few months later and locked the majority of us in our homes for the better part of a year and a half. It destroyed the rhythm of the in-person meetups and events our club had worked so hard to maintain. But as Tom once said when reflecting on the past two years, we were resilient. The Empire State Club and many other regional clubs held regular Zoom chats that we piled into on a weekly basis, trying to keep up the spirits of those around us and of our own, and maintaining a sense of normalcy in the process. And between the Zoom chats, the phone calls, the texts, and the long conversations, Tyler and I kept our friendship going. There were many times where after a long discussion and before ending a phone call, I would say to him, I felt like we hung out for an evening. But that Friday, as I followed the dusty trail of his driveway, I pulled into his cabin-style home, surrounded by trees and the peaceful rhythms of nature. The sun was approaching its westerly descent, thinning the colors of the sky. Lights hung from the exterior porch that wrapped around the cabin. As Tyler stepped through his back door and opened the gate to greet me, it felt like no time had passed since the last time we were together. We had an evening and a full day ahead of us. This was the start of a truly memorable weekend. This was certainly a great way to kick it off, at the home of a fellow Star Wars collector, hearing the stories behind the vintage pieces that mean something to him. This is a conversation with my friend, Tyler Fedigan. And this is Star Wars Prototypes and Production. David Quinn. 
It's a trap. Yes, Sales of vintage Star Wars figures can lead to hefty profits for some, but they can also lead to surprising and long-lasting friendships. At Star Wars Celebration Orlando in 2017, I took part in my first room sales event. The room sales were held in the lobby of the hotel where most of the collectors resided for the weekend. I brought a few bins of the figures and pieces I had purchased within the first five years of becoming a serious collector with which I was ready to part. I didn't know many of the collectors at the time, and upon entering the area designated for the room sales, I scattered my items on the floor in front of me. Tyler, seeing my selection, came over to where I was sitting and went through my arrangement of loose vintage figures. He picked up a droid's Thal Jobin and Kez Ivan, and after complimenting their condition, told me he really needed them for his Kenner run. We agreed on a price for the pair, talked for a while, and became friends that night. Three months later, I attended my first Empire State Club event at Ron Salvatore's house. Tyler was the first person to greet me at the door, and did so with a huge smile. In a moment, I felt comfortable entering the house of a stranger and meeting a group of people I didn't know yet, because I knew Tyler. And if our random run-in went as well as it did back in Orlando, I was confident I would have a chance to connect in positive ways with many others during that day. And since that meetup in July of 2017, Tyler and I have experienced many of the best Empire State Club moments together. We spent the weekend touring New York State during the International Collectors event of 2018, and had what we agreed was one of the best weekends of our lives at the annual the following year. And along the way, we've attended toy shows together. We've taken over diners and restaurants with our friends, stacking more and more tables next to one another as more collectors joined us for hours-long meals. We've visited homes of other collectors and have spent memorable moments on a few boat trips, gliding across the Hudson. I credit Tyler with making me laugh harder than I have in the last 20 years, as he recounted a wild story from one of the collecting weekends during a group dinner. That's a pretty high bar to hit, but times like that are unforgettable. But the best part about Tyler is his character. He truly cares about others, and he aims to treat those around him with respect. He never misses a chance to let his friends know what they mean to him, and that they are always on his mind. During the quarantine, Tyler began a quest to make his own droids. Ones modeled after the three and three quarter inch Kenner figures from the 1970s and 1980s. Ones whose domes would click when you turn them. With designs that hadn't been done previously and would appeal to vintage collectors. He devoted his creativity and time into transforming what he envisioned into a reality, and he's starting to see the fruits of his labor. Tyler also uses his new hobby to make special gifts for those within our club and beyond. So I'm glad you're here with us. I want you to get to know Tyler better. And as a Star Wars fan, 
What better way to learn more about a collector than to explore his collection? I'm just going to finish the last few bites of my sandwich, and then we'll head downstairs, where Tyler will take us on a tour of the figures and pieces that mean something to him. Tyler's collection room is unlike anything you've ever seen before. It is the opposite of the sterile, white-walled museum collection we've come to associate with almost any type of collecting. Instead, we'll be visiting a red-ceilinged room lined with shiny vinyl records, bringing a dynamism and a sense of movement. Along his black walls with the white trim around the doors and floor, small, clear acrylic shelves hold the playsets and figures from the Kenner line, as many of the ships and vehicles appear to float above our heads. There's so much going on in the room, it's hard to focus. It is an ordered chaos, busy in design, but each arrangement has been meticulously prepared. In the far left corner is a desk with a cabinet holding a clean and complete set of the Kenner Star Wars figures. The backdrop to the vertical cabinet mirrors the yellow staircase setup found on the card backs of the Return of the Jedi and Power the Force lines. To the right of it is the modern Hasbro Legacy Millennium Falcon perched on its own table. And next to that is a large glass case displaying many of the Kenner figures and vehicles from the mid-1980s Mask Animated series. On the wall to our left is the work desk where Tyler creates and designs his resin droids. A series of white wooden cubbyholes contain dioramas of the toys from the Indiana Jones line, and the HasLab Jabba Sail Barge rests above them, overlooking Tyler's desk. These are just some of the items among a vast array of figures and memorabilia, and it's all contained in one exciting room, curated by a die-hard Star Wars fan. Okay, I've finished my dinner. Let's head downstairs and take a tour of this incredible and creatively displayed collection with our friend, Tyler. Tyler, I'm standing in the middle of your room, your display room, which is incredible. It's a, it's a workstation, and, uh, and it's also just a, a place where you've displayed all of these loose action figures, vehicles, and play sets. You have a red ceiling with records um, lining up the entire ceiling, and then your walls are, are black with, with white trim, and then you just have shelves and beautiful displays of all these loose figures. I've never seen anything like this before. Um, It's one of my favorite collections that I've ever seen. And how did you come to start collecting and to put all this together? Thank you so much for those compliments. Welcome to the inside of my brain. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I got started collecting at a very early age because my father is also a toy collector. So ever since I was born... We had a train room in the house. My dad collects pre-war Lionel and Ives trains and has always had um, active displays with running trains running around through villages and over bridges and and so forth. Very nice. Wow. So I thought that 
every adult had their toy collection <laughs> in their house on display, and it was my job as a kid to find my thing that I was going to collect and display. And I was just kind of keeping an eye out. Mostly I was going to train shows with my dad and, and kind of starting to take to that a little bit. Um, but then I saw Star Wars. Actually, I saw Return of the Jedi. Um, my We had gotten a VCR, and I remember my dad coming home so excited that we had he just rented a movie that was crazy and it was Return of the Jedi so I'm like let's let's check this out so Return of the Jedi was my very first Star Wars experience and I was blown away no idea what was going on but it was just it was a great movie and after the movie I remember my family my family was never really like on board with like I don't think they were like in that craze, so they didn't really know. And they're like, ah, what's the other? There's another one where Luke Skywalker got his hand chopped off. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Find that. So then I watched Empire Strikes Back. And I'm like, oh, okay, so that's how the guy got in carbonite. <laughs> um, and then I remember that movie ended, and one of my parents, I think there's another one. <laughs> I'm like, another one? So you watched all these backwards. Backwards, completely backwards. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea. But I was having a great time. And then somehow, um, you know, through fate, um, back then when you're, um, I had an older sister and when, I don't know, that's, I don't know, maybe everyone didn't do this, but it was a meet the parents night. So my sister had a new friend that, um, their parents invited us over to their house for dinner. So everyone could just hang out and get to know each other. And her friend had a younger brother who was slightly older than me. Mm-hmm. So the parents started talking, my sister was off with her friend, and I got uh, pawned off on this poor guy who was just, like, not knowing what to do with this little <laughs> sure. kid. And I remember sitting, he's like, he, he kind of shrugged, he's like, ah, do you like Star Wars? And I'm like, do I like Star Wars? Yeah, I like Star Wars. And now we're talking. Went to his closet and started pulling out all these toys. And to my best um, guess uh, as to when this was. It looked like he had just gone through the Tri-Logo Christmas when all the Tri-Logo characters were in clearance bins mm-hmm. because he had um, mostly Jedi, but like he had doubles and triples of everything. Like He had extended family that just kept buying him Star Wars toys. Wow. And he's like, hey, you can have all the duplicates. So he started just making a pile for me. Oh my gosh. And he, he threw a bunch of figures in a pile and he's like, yeah, all the weapons kind of sink down to the bottom of the box. So remember, he like shook all the weapons to like one corner of the box and like grabbed a pinch of them and just like dropped them all. Like, here you go, just random grab of weapons. Um, the only characters he didn't want to part with were the stormtroopers, mm-hmm. and that became like my thing too because I didn't have any stormtroopers and it took me a while to get one. Um, but that was it. That's how I started, and I was. Um, I started setting up in in scenes from the movie, and then as I kept collecting and finding more toys, I would get a card back or two um, and see the the scenes and the displays on the card back, so I started trying to recreate those, and my big idea was to have the room in my house, like my dad's room, but have one of every Star Wars toy on display with characters, um, as sort of as they're seen on, on the package. So that's... In a long answer for you, sir, that is how I got started. Oh, that's that's incredible. <laughs> and I mean, you can see it here too. Like, I do feel like I'm looking at the inside of your brain, uh, truly. But is there is there a piece here, looking at this wall that's in front of us, this long wall? Um, is there a piece that is your favorite? Oh man, just uh, that's tough. Just about every piece in here 
has a story because I never really, I never upgraded. So once I acquired uh, the TIE Fighter, you know, that TIE Fighter, it's yellowed. It's, it's definitely got some imperfections. If you wiggle it too much, the wings will pop off. Mm-hmm. That became like my TIE Fighter. Mm-hmm. You know, the, even a mint one to me doesn't look as nice as that one. So they're kind of all my favorite because they're all the one, you know, they're the only one of its kind in this. And part of the collection. In this collection, right. Yeah. Um, you mentioned to me before that you said that you liked your stuff having a patina. <laughs> yeah. Why? For a number of different reasons. I, I, I like when the toy tells a little bit of a story. I, I just appreciate a survivor a little bit more, something that, you know, maybe did go to, to school one day and, and get roughed up in the sandbox or, um, you know, all the numbers of different atrocities that happened to toys when we were sure. kids. I just like, you know, I like seeing those emerge and then get a nice, nice safe place to, to live out the rest of their day. Also, I'm just, I don't know, I don't like having nice things because it's only a matter of time before I mess it up. And then you put that scratch into something and uh, it, just, it just sticks with you. <laughs> you had mentioned earlier that uh, so there's you have a Millennium Falcon, and one of the coolest things about your collection too is the way that you display the stuff. And so you have a number of the vehicles mounted on the wall um, up, up at the top, and you did that yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's really cool because the way that you have the X-wing when you walk through the door, it's it's right above you, um, and the tail section is up against the wall, so the nose is pointing out, and it's pointing out at, at an angle. And then next to that, you have Slave One at another angle, so it looks like it's in the middle of flying. And you said before you had this Millennium Falcon that you've displayed beautifully. You know, it, it's sort of tilted um, at an angle where the, the cockpit is leaning more toward uh, the, the, the ground. And you said that it dropped one day and it, 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 it fell. Yeah, when I was in the early stages of setting up the room, um, trying to figure out how to mount these things and and it was really important to me to not damage the toys at all when I mounted them I wanted them to be look like they were floating but not you know a not be able to kind of see how they're attached to the wall and b obviously not have any any uh damage done to them so I I rigged up version a of of the falcon and and gave it the wiggle test It, it felt pretty good and I don't remember if it was later that day or maybe the next day. My dog was a puppy at the time, and he was he was chewing on something. And, of course, running up to see what he had. And it was plastic, and it was not super recognizable, but something inside me just... Something inside me sunk. Like, something, I knew something was wrong, even though I wasn't, like, putting it together yet. Right. And then I realized what I was holding was the little mounting arm for the radar dish on the Falcon, which had, you know, had been mangled pretty much beyond recognition. And my head put the the math together, like, that was on the ground for this guy to get, which means my Falcon is no longer on the wall. (laughs) It came down, and sure enough, the Falcon had taken flight from the wall, cruised through the land speeder, and uh, crashed onto the floor. Thankfully, the the gnawed up thing that my dog got was the only thing on the Falcon that was damaged. It definitely messed up my land speeder a little bit. Um, but that's another reason why I don't collect dead mint. The way I display, luckily, knock on wood, nothing has happened in in many many years. But occasionally, something happens. So, mm-hmm. looking around 
at the different displays that you have. So you have a bunch of these clear acrylic shelves, and then each one contains a certain element of uh, the action figures, the playsets, the vehicles. What was your design for this? You mean the placement of them, or like each scene? Uh, each scene. Uh, it went scene by scene, or, or toy by toy. So a lot of these scenes were really, again, they, they, they fall back to the Kim Simmons photography. Um, when I strayed away from the photography was in the cases where if the, the box art was taken at a time that a lot of the characters that would kind of belong in that toy or in that scene weren't made yet. Um, and I felt like putting those characters in would add a little, little interest or a little color to a scene. Um, that's kind of how it came together. So, um, I don't know, for example, the ad at is based exactly as the, um, as the box shows with the, with the background and everything. The Death Star isn't. Like, the Death Star, I just, you know, I love the, the Death Star box, but it's just got a few Stormtroopers and Darth Vader, so I really wanted to pack it full of Death Squad commanders and um, get the whole gang running around in there. Um, so it just kind of went by feel. You know, I started off basically with how the box art was, and then if I felt like it needed, like, a little something else, I would grow it, but I tried not to get to where there, each scene was so congested where you couldn't see everything. Three of my favorite pieces are the Death Star from Star Wars, the AT-AT from The Empire Strikes Back, and the Imperial Shuttle from Return of the Jedi. And you have them... What makes them so special, too, is the way that you have them set up, but also you have a beautiful backdrop that uh, looks to be hand-painted and hand-created. Is this the case? It is, yeah. So I had tried for a long time with different backgrounds trying to get that going, and it found that a lot of times it would be distracting, it would take away from the scene. So I scaled back and wanted to just get a representation of the box art from Star Wars Empire and Jedi. I don't have the power of the Force yet, hopefully someday I will. Um, but these were painted by my parents. My dad, um, these are hand-painted canvases. Everything is hand-painted except the little Kenner logo in the bottom. That is actually just you know made on a computer, but um, they're super talented people and uh, pass none of that on to me but I was able to uh, commission them to make one of each. So the Star Wars one is backing the Death Star. Uh, the Empire is backing the um, Adat, and Return of the Jedi has got the Emperor's Arrival scene from the box. And it's amazing because they, they really do look like 3D examples of the box, and it's a testament to your, your parents' eyes that, that you know they just had an eye for the art. Um, and there are colors that we remember. Like if you... If I said to you, do you remember the red of the, the box for the, the Death Star playset? I mean, it's a specific, it's that bright, you know, fire engine red. And the, the orange kind of blur um, mixed up against the, the, the snow and the, the blue of, of the box for the AT-AT. And then that, that sort of, the way the light blue kind of seeps into that, that lavender, purple, brownish color... Um, up against a Starfield background of the, the Imperial shuttle. I mean, we know all of those, and your parents captured them beautifully. Yeah, I'm very fortunate. They did a great job. Mm. What would you do for the Power of the Force? I think the Battle Wagon. I think that's where that one would go. That's a great piece. Yeah. It's a fantastic piece. So if you could give us an idea of one of these displays, because, again, you have a 
number of these shelves and they're smaller shelves and each one has something happening on it, it has a scene from the from the films um, so if you could just give us an idea of, of one of these in particular uh, well yeah this one um, yeah so Cloud City here um, that's one I acquired more recently um, I actually got that from our good friend Tom Quinn he knew I was looking for that playset and found the it's two pieces there's the the main background to the cardboard playset, and then this little added piece of cardboard that creates a little three-dimensional carbon freeze chamber. Oh, and, and I never realized that you can actually see the the carbon freeze chamber uh, set up in the front of that. Yeah, yeah. That's nice. Um, so, be- I mean, Bespin was always one of my favorite scenes from Star Wars, one of my favorite places. So, you know, I love the colors of Bespin. So, it's one I really wanted, and he knew it, and he was able to find for me on like a Facebook sale. Um, uh, the backdrop and he's like hey I got you the, the backdrop you're just missing the little piece now I'm like oh that's cool thanks I'm halfway halfway there literally two weeks later he's like hey I got the other half for you <laughs> and he found the same thing like a random sale found wow. the other little piece um, so when I got that set uh, if you recall it came with four figures it came with let's see Bespin Han who else did it come with an Ugnaught Dengar mm-hmm. and was it Who's the fourth? Lobot? Lobot, Vespin Han, Dengar, and Ugnaught? Ugnaught, I think. Okay. So, in some cases, like for the Cantina, um, and for the the um, the Sears Hoth set, I just displayed the figures that came with it. Mm-hmm. But for Bespin, especially since there wasn't like another Bespin playset. Um, I've done it a bunch of different ways. So I, I used to have like a traditional movie scene set up, um, but Ugnaughts are one of my favorite characters and I got a handful of them. So I did kind of a troop build for this round um, with all the different colored smocks. Um, but my absolute favorite character is Han and Carbonite. So I made sure I got him in there because where else does he go? Along with Boba Fett and a couple Bespin guards pushing him along. So it's kind of a mix between a, a small movie scene and then a little troop build of Ugnaughts. So at the bottom here, you have six Ugnaughts, and then on top of that smaller piece, you have two Ugnaughts, uh, and then you have Boba Fett leading the way with the Han and Carbonite uh, stand, which is resting on an acrylic beam, so it looks like it's floating, and then you have the two Bespin security guards behind it, and then two stormtroopers behind it. So it's just, it's a beautiful setup. You're using the original Kenner stuff for it, and you're doing it in a way that I think we rarely see. Yeah, thanks, man. I, I enjoy it. It keeps me keeps me sane, and um, I'm always trying to come up with, you know, fresh new ideas just to keep it interesting. And then right above that, <laughs> and this piece just makes me laugh because of the way you have it set up. I think that's what I really love about each of your your different displays here is that you've put a little bit of humor and a little bit of of the scene from the film into it. So right above that, you have the a scene from Return of the Jedi. Can you explain what's happening here? Sure, yeah. So we've got the biker scout <laughs> yeah. on a speeder bike, a couple Endor dudes, and we got Chewie launching a scout driver out of the uh, out of the cockpit of the of the ATST. Yeah, so Chewbacca is literally popping up out of the ATST, and he has it looks like you know he's almost like a wrestler would you know, and just getting ready to kind of toss the uh, the ATST driver out of it. Um, it's a great piece, really cool. And it's just nice too the way that your your setup flows 
in this way where, you know, a person who comes in who isn't familiar with this, their eye just keeps moving and you have stuff from Star Wars, stuff from Empire, stuff from Jedi in various spots and all of these little scenes and sequences. Um, another one that I think you just did really well uh, and it really tells the story is the Land of the Jawas playset. Oh, thanks. Yeah, that is based right off of a Kenner photo. I don't think it was used on the package. It, you know, I found it in the uh, the Kim Simmons photography book he recently released. Uh, but that's straight out of straight out of the uh, one of those catalog photos. And it's perfect. You know, it, it has it has the pod that C three PO and R two D two came out of when they fell down to Tatooine. Um, you have an R five D four coming out of the uh, Sandcrawler itself. Uh, a Jawa is stunning the R2-D2, and then you have Luke, Ben, and another Jawa, and behind him you have the Tusken Raider. Yeah, everyone's there. All gang's there. Yeah. What was the toughest uh, scene to put together out of all of these? The toughest scene to assemble would have had to have been Darth Vader's Star Destroyer, because unlike some of the other scenes I have, there's more characters packed into that set. Um... The bounty hunter scene I thought needed to be represented, so we've you know we've got those five six dudes already in there, plus imperial baddies littered about, and they're all inside of this like rickety little tray, um, which you said was really fragile too, right? Yeah, I mean I don't I feel like it's fragile. I haven't really tested it, but yeah, it's just there's not much to it. There's not much to the walls, mm-hmm. um, and the tabs are are small to begin with and now they're you know 35 40 years old so they're not the strongest thing so yeah we just try to set that up and walk away don't touch it now is that the way that you have it set up is that based on a kim simmons photo or anything from box art that one no that one's well maybe a little bit i you know because you've got the character hanging on, on the top um yeah not not so much the main focus of that one will be the bounty hunters and hit i and that was one of the examples where not all of the bounty hunter characters were released when that toy was released, so they're not all in the in the box art. So mm-hmm. improvised a little. I like the way you did it though, because you have what looks to be the Imperial commander hanging upside down, uh, and that's what they did for this this set. They had a, a peg where you can actually have him hanging, and then you have Darth Vader standing in front of him, and he's looking down, and you have you're showing us the backs of. Forlom, Zuckus, Dengar, Bosk, and IG-88, where they're looking up, which is and, and Boba Fett, which is a nice uh, recreation of the, the Bounty Hunter sequence uh, that I think drove tons of people crazy to collect and wanting to just grab everything of Boba Fett as well, too. Yeah, I tried a million different ways to you know, arrange it so it didn't look crowded in there, and just mm-hmm. having all their backs to you just seemed to be, oddly enough, seemed to work the best. Mm. It's really nice. Thanks, um, one of my favorite pieces in your collection, too, is the cabinet that the Imperial shuttle display is on. And underneath it, so it has three, um, three shelves inside, three cutout drawers, and um, they're all lined in like a, a blue fabric. And then they all highlight the different pieces from the early 80s micro collection. Was this line something that, that meant something to you? This, I never had any of the micro stuff growing up. I mean, I, again, I started collecting in 87 or 88 and collecting completely in the dark and working off of, um, 
you know, the occasional card back that I would find, or, you know, when I was really lucky, I'd find a catalog. Um, so when I first got the catalog, that was the first time I learned, I was like, oh, there's a, there's a micro collection. That's neat. But I never found any of that stuff, uh, as I was hunting through flea markets and garage sales and, and, um, you know, asking people what they had in their mother's basement. Sure. Uh, it just never popped up. Um, it wasn't until, uh, I was in the empire group, um, fellow member had a full open set that he was letting go of. And I was able to add most of that, uh, all at once. And I just realized too, so it's three different sets and it's basically the way that Kenner sold it, uh, eventually was in the, the death star world. I think it was the Bespin world and then mm-hmm. the Hoth world. And that's how you have each of the, the cabinets set up. So you have all of the death star world, including the tie fighter and the X wing. Then you have the entire Hoth world playset, uh, which is three pieces that connected. And then, I'm sorry, that was the Bespin set. Uh, and then the Hoth world that you have at the bottom, you know, it looks like it's 20, 20 sets. Yeah, yeah. it's four uh, sets plus the, yeah, it's, it's actually, it's, it's the four sets plus the uh, survival kit and the snow speeder. Yeah. So it's everything but the Falcon. The Falcon is one of the pieces I still need to get my mitts on. Mm-hmm. And that will, that will come. It will definitely come. But your lighting in here is incredible as well, too. Um, these cabinets are beautifully lit. And your use of the, the blue background, too, for me, it evokes something from the 1980s. And I can't quite place it. So was this just a design choice or was this based on something? The blue was based, I call it Rebel Scum Blue. Um, I remember when Rebel Scum first came out and we started seeing those awesome full-color um, photos of the figures I just remember thinking the blue that they used just made them look so good so that kind of became my staple background color if I had a choice in the matter to it just seemed to be the best color to bring out all of the Kenner colors and I've also you know I've been I've seen these pieces now for something like 30 or 40 years but seeing them in a display like this with all of the figures that they came with um, in in one uh, diorama too is just incredible. I, I never realized, uh, you know, they're all set in these really cool action poses. Um, but God, just what a what a beautiful display of some of the Kenner toys. I mean, you you did a fantastic job, and it, it really just helps me to appreciate these even more. Thank you so much. Yeah, this this bookcase that they're in was mine as a kid, mm-hmm. and this was my rotating display of Star Wars toys when I was a kid. So the Adat Walker sat on top because it didn't fit on the shelves. Mm -hmm. And the shelves would be rotating scenes from week to week. And that's what got me thinking, wow, someday I would love to have a room where I could display one of everything and not have to take something down to put something up. Mm -hmm. But yeah, no, it's just beautiful. And you have it in in the center of the of the wall and then as i said you have the imperial shuttle over it um with all the the, the stormtroopers the emperor darth vader uh the imperial dignitary walking behind them and then the row of emperor's royal guards which is it just makes this whole setup just you that's know. gotta be thank you so much that's gotta be my favorite scene i mean that's was the one when i finally did catch a glimpse of that box art i was just captivated by the sheer number of troops that were on the cover um, it's from you know a killer scene in Jedi, which is my favorite of the trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So it, it was. Uh, it took me a long time to 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 get there, but it, it was a. Uh, I was excited when I was able to finally put that set together. Still need a few force pikes for the for the ERGs, but um, I'm happy with where where we got it. It's funny though that you mentioned the sheer number of characters that were on that box art, because I I just realized that I had felt the same way, and I think it comes from the fact that, you know, growing up, we didn't have a ton of. Of figures and weren't able to buy you know a ton of them to to do something mm. like this and when as a kid when you see that that box and that art your first thought is oh my gosh who has this volume of, of right. figures and um but you know to be able to do that now as an adult and and to set it up exactly the way that you saw it has to be a dream realized yeah it feels yeah i'm not gonna lie it feels pretty good <laughs> It's really nice. And it just it displays beautifully, you know, especially living living on on uh, social media now, where you know we're in all these groups and people are posting stuff. We see these pieces all the time. Hmm. We see loose figures. We see carded figures. I mean, even you know, a lot of times we see prototypes over and over again. But to see them arranged this way, there's just something different. Um, and and you have all these again, all these action poses and and all these scenes. Which for me, it just it put things into a much different perspective, uh, and it's it's really helped me to appreciate most of the stuff that I'm seeing again. So cool, man! Yeah, Glad you like it. It's it's gorgeous. Thanks. Um, you have you have an interesting pilot for the A wing. <laughs> yeah, we're short an A wing pilot right now. Um, no one wants to work these days. It's um, <laughs> taking resumes. No one's qualified. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, no, I have an A-Wing pilot. I, I pulled him out for this little um, Rebel mechanic scene over here where I just tried to put all, get all of the Rebel pilots um, working together using a vehicle maintenance energizer to patch up a, an X-Wing. Um, so I really wanted the A-Wing pilot over there. Uh, so we had, to, uh, we had to pop a cloud car pilot in the A-Wing for now. Mm -hmm. uh, should be cool. He's not qualified, but we know. It looks like he's flying it fine. He's doing all right. He's doing all right. The A-Wing by itself is uh, a very desirable, rare, amazing piece. Um, but you have a special story behind this one. That Yeah, that A-Wing is super special to me. Um, that was one of the last purchases I made um, from a store called the Comic Depot, uh, which is local to me in Saratoga Springs. The owner's name was Darren Carrera, and I just from shopping through the store over the years... Got to know him, and he was just an awesome guy. Really, really good guy. That's how I got to know Chris Kaminsky and got to be really good friends with him as well. And um, it was great. You know, a, a bunch of awesome Star Wars stuff came into the shop. And this, at this stage of collecting, um, you know, I'm down to just a couple pieces. So it's really rare that, that something came in that I didn't have. So it was extra exciting that this A-Wing came in with a box, um, and the insert, and then the instructions later turned up, so it was it was complete. And the um, the other one, the the side gunner, was also in, in that lot. And that's from the droids line, right? Yeah, yeah, those yeah. are both from the droids line. So I'm missing, I'm still missing the ATL interceptor. That's my it's my last last one I need. Um, but those those pieces were in the shop, and and they were um, a little bit more expensive. Um, but Darren was always cool. He's like, yeah, if you want anything, just hold in the back and and um, get it when you can. So uh, Darren ended up passing away suddenly from a heart attack. Uh, and that, those were the last pieces that I had gotten from him. And, and the kind of the last interaction um, 
that happened through Chris. Uh, I was I was helping them out with something. Uh, some Star Wars toys had come in, and I was I was sharing some knowledge or, or helping out in some way. Uh, Chris was kind enough to call Darren, let Darren know that I was helping out. Darren turned around and gave me the most incredible deal on that on that A-Wing. I mean, I wouldn't be able to have one basically if it wasn't for him. So. Uh, when he passed, I mean, that was a special thing just in and of itself. I was so appreciative. And when he passed, it really solidified that as something extra special. Mm. It makes me think of him whenever I look at it. I really like it. And I love the way you have it displayed as well, too. It, all of these vehicles look like they're in flight. and um, That one's tried to angle it just like the box. Very, very cool. <laughs> yeah, where it's, it's basically pointing up toward the heavens. That's awesome. <laughs> um, uh, just a great piece. And I'm glad you were able to get it. And, you know... I think that's what a lot of people don't understand sometimes is that these pieces go beyond being toys, collectibles, even Star Wars pieces. But, you know, a lot of times who we get them from or what they're tied to means even so much more than what they are at mm, times. For sure. And that's what a lot of these pieces, I mean, that's that's an extra special story. But, I mean, all of these pieces have um, a little something attached to them you know i kind of can remember um where i was when i got them or who i got them from or the you know so it's kind of a fun collection of stories attached to each each piece in addition to them being attached to the the people that you got them from or the the moments that you um that you pick them up do they still evoke memories of the 1980s 1970s 1980s for you big time big time like this you know this was my world when I was a kid you know this was my escape when I got home from school you know and for, for most of us right and that's right. where a lot of our, our passion came from uh, so yeah this is kind of you know it brings it all together again just getting them all in one place where all the colors are mixing and and they're all kind of going different ways you know to kind of keep your eye busy as you as you move across it it uh, yeah, yeah, it totally brings me back to a, a simpler time, you know, when there was like one phone in the house, there wasn't social media, there, you know, we weren't uh, captivated by screens unless we went to the movies, and it, it, when we went to the movies, it was a huge deal. Right, right. <laughs> um, so yeah, it definitely does. It brings like a lot of great nostalgia from, from what I think, I don't know, like a, a better time, like a more mm-hmm. simple time. I think what really stands out about your collection, to me at least, is... Um, is the playfulness that you have here as well too? Um, so you have you have a droid factory, and I mentioned this to you earlier. But in addition to having all of the the droid pieces set up, um, you've littered it with Jawas, and you have so the the droid factory has this long crane uh, or this long arm, and then attached to it is a crane. And I've never seen this before, but you have two Jawas hanging from it. You have one Jawa hanging from the actual hook, and then another one hanging from that Jawa. And it, again, it's just it's that type of playfulness um, that makes it fun and dynamic again. And I think you know, to some degree, we, we've kind of lost that. Collectors lose that after a while. Um, you have pieces that kind of become museum pieces, and sometimes that could become even a little sterile. Mm. And with this, I mean, you just you're still doing creative things with your toys uh is there another is there another thing from from this line uh that that you had a little more fun with or you were experimenting with in a certain artistic or fun way yeah i mean i love jawas i mean that was that was a scene that i kind of visualized and wanted to put together i bought an, an extra droid factory so i could actually build the droids from the book from the instruction book as well as 
have the tray display with all the pieces oh, in it. Oh, that makes sense. Okay, yeah. And, you know, I have the blueprints with it there, too. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I have fun with all of them. Like, I, I, I'll have a lot of fun creating a scene in my head, and then I'll make it, and sometimes it's awesome. Sometimes I'm like, wow, that is exactly what I was hoping for. Mm-hmm. That's sinister. I love it. Um, sometimes I'll like think I have the best ideas in sliced bread. I'll put it together, be like, "Wow, that is not working at all." <laughs> so over time, it just becomes something that I can look at and kind of know, mm-hmm. like from a feel. Like, does that work? Does it not work? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I so I kind of go more off a of feel than I do like just yeah. specific placement of of a specific figure. Okay, so in the same way that you've displayed these wonderful vintage figures against vintage. Kenner backdrops and playsets and vehicles. Uh, you've also done that with a four-foot-long Hasbro ship, which is just one of my favorite pieces ever created. And uh, in fact, I even did a, a podcast episode on it. Um, but you filled this this Jabba sail barge from 2018 from the Vintage Collection. You filled it with all of the vintage figures from Return of the Jedi. What are we looking at here? Yeah, that's when the sail barge hit the scene. I I couldn't resist. It's again, Jedi is my favorite movie. That whole Jabba sequence at the beginning of Jedi is, I think, my most favorite Star Wars action sequence. Just I feel like it had it all. It had all the aliens from the cantina of the first movie, but just on a huger scale with. Bigger characters, bigger ships, bigger explosions, a lot of action. It was just a super exciting scene. Um, so a lot of the scenes I created with my figures when I was a kid were, were from the sail barge, but without a sail barge. So to actually have a good-sized sail barge to pack some some vintage Java goons in was a, was a real exciting uh, opportunity. Yeah, so you have a Gamorrean guard up at the very top, on the top level, uh, and he looks menacing, and then you have a bunch of Weequay figures and Klaatu skiff guards. The Klaatu skiff guards are manning the cannons. Um, now, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think that the Jabba's sail barge came with little interior lights and lights underneath the, the sails, right? Right. Nope, I added those. It's just a string of LED lights. But it actually really highlights the figures nicely. Um, really impressive and, and a cool way to display it too, especially under this lighting. You have all the panels open so that you can see all the figures. What I did notice though is this job of the hut that you have displayed is not the one that came with it. Correct. And it's a very strange but interesting one. That's a Jabba cat. That is sculpted by Paul Harding and was the archive party giveaway, I think, for Chicago. So at Celebration Chicago, um, they always do a, a, a like a sponsor gift or a giveaway gift, and um, they Paul Harding was kind enough to um, to undertake this task, and he created what can only be described as a Cheshire Cat version of Jabba the Hutt. Oh, he's and, awesome. Yeah, That's and then these are all I believe hand painted as well too, right? Yeah, yeah. There's a bunch of hand painted ones like that, which are basic Jabba colors and. Mm-hmm. There's a whole series out there that were painted in really wacky, obscure <laughs> colors floating around. You see one pop up every now and again, but yeah. just a really, really cool piece. You also have a figure that was never made for the Kenner line, but one that people always wanted uh, next to Jabba. Yeah, J- good old Leia in her in her Jabba palace outfit. What is she called these days? Is Jabba's personal assistant? 
uh, Java's Hut Slayer, I think they say. What do they say? It's yeah, it's not. It's not what it used to be. In, involuntary uh, assistance. Involuntary, right? yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, but uh, so yes, that's, this is a custom. Yeah, that's a custom, and that was made by Ryan Shaw. Um, and I feel like he really captured the Kenner feel with that figure, the the face, the sculpt. Um, he did a fantastic job with it. So I, I had was late to the game with that. I reached out to him to see if he still had them. He goes, wow, he goes, you just caught me. I have one left. The mold just broke. Oh, my gosh. I have one left, wow. uh, and it's all yours. So I got the last one from that from that line. And I love your choice here, too, because you could have you could have filled the entire barge with modern figures, but you chose to keep it similar to what's across the on the other side of the wall with just the vintage ones. And I think it's really interesting. We've had a few friends who have decked these out with the vintage figures, and it really adds a lot to it. And I, I think your addition of the lighting to these these little they almost look like little white Christmas lights that you've uh, you've hung from the ceiling and then from underneath the sails. And it just it, it it just gives a different perspective, a different look on it too. Uh, so much beautiful detail sculpted on the back wall of that display, and without the lights in there, you know, my lights are kind of dim in here because I try to not blast my toys with super bright light. Sure, um, but you couldn't see a thing. It was it was dark as can be in there. So really needed some some lights. You can see the the mastery that went into the, all the all the work that went into that. Mm. It really is one of the most beautiful projects that Hasbro and Kenner have ever done. Agreed. Yeah, next to the Falcon. I mean, I think those were their two... People like the Adat to the, the Legacy Falcon is one of the um, more highly coveted modern pieces, along with the Legacy Adat, which I think is neat, but the man, that Falcon, I don't think it ever got better than that. No, and you have the Falcon sitting uh, in another section of your, your room here, and I never realized how large it is. I think it is... I think it's something like 31 inches long or maybe even a little longer. About that, yeah, yeah. just shy of three feet. Yeah, um, but it's uh, it, it fills that table nicely, and it, it really is an incredible design. Um, that was another piece that Mark had worked on mm-hmm. uh, for Hasbro uh, before he retired. Um, you and I were speaking about this earlier, and I think this is, it, first of all, it's just a brilliant um, way of displaying boxes. You know, boxes are very hard to display Especially, you know, a lot of times we're just short on shelf space. Um, what you've done is you've actually attached them to the wall, and you've done so without ruining them. Right, yep. So I collect, um, sort of similar to my loose collection, I collect less than perfect boxes. So they're mostly just shells. Um, many have rips and tears and et cetera, creases. Um, but I arrange them in a way that kind of hides that, and even though they may not be the most perfect uh, example. I still treat them like they're uh, an 85 or up, and uh, <laughs> refuse to, you know, you know, do anything that would bring any further harm to them. So I, I used metal strapping on the wall and really strong magnets to to attach all the boxes and, and get them up there, so that uh, no box was harmed in the making of this display. So you have the the metal on the wall, which we can't see, mm-hmm. and then. You basically just took a heavy-duty magnet and put it on the inside of the box mm-hmm. so that it's, it doesn't adhere to anything. It's just literally connecting to the, the metal. Correct. Yep. Some um, of the more like pricier boxes I used a shelf above because um, I didn't even want a chance using the magnet trick on those, sure. like the Battle Wagon, for example, or the Tatooine Skiff. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but yeah, all these more common boxes that already have a few scratch and scratches and dents, it was a great way to, to arrange them in a kind of a floating way without, uh, again, without any tack holes or tape. Yeah, and, and you weren't limited to the confines of something like a shelf where you didn't need you know, to have a shelf. You, you actually have this up over your two desks that you have here, uh, and it's a nice way to use the space without you know, adding in another bookcase or another shelf. Thanks. Yeah. Um, do you, would you have any more tips like that for collectors, uh, creative ways to display stuff? Because, I mean, you certainly have a number of creative ways here. Um, let's see. I mean, the, the acrylic stands that, that Ian makes um, can really add, add a lot to your display. Um, well, I guess the only thing I could add is, is kind of what you were saying before. You know, Star Wars figures, they're, they're, they're very static. You know, they don't move a lot. It's, you know, Weequay is one of my favorite characters because he just had that really cool pose. I remember mm-hmm. thinking that really, really stood out to me. Everyone else is kind of standing at military attention, so it's tough to bring that to life mm-hmm. uh, but one of the ways you can is by getting things on different levels so um, one thing I do is make sure that the shelves weren't all lined up with each other they all kind of um, they're a little bit more random mm-hmm. um, it looks random but actually that everything was was kind of measured out and sized in that way mm-hmm. um, but getting figures off the ground like R2 floating over here in Dagobah uh, or Yoda up in the air it just it gets something a little different for the eye to catch and it kind of draws you in versus just seeing a whole row of characters standing at attention. And you also have some swag around here too, which I, I love. Um, I think it's it's something that our group, the Empire State Star Wars Collectors Club, takes very seriously and does a really nice job on, as well as a lot of the other regional groups of which we're a part. And um, it's just nice to have that. I noticed, so you have uh, an annual, it looks like a, a, a small cabinet um, where on the side of it you have pieces from the annual. Yeah, I, I, swag is important. Um, I, I didn't really understand what the whole deal with swag was until 2017 Orlando, and it clicked. I was like, oh, this is really cool. It's like a cool connection to uh, meet people, to you know, connect with people, or to commemorate or remember, you know, tie, you know, tie it back to a memory. What was the piece that did it for you? That's easy. Um, that would be my 2017 Celebration Orlando Astromech, uh, which was made by, I believe, by a guy named Clint Garris, uh, who's from Canada. And he didn't give that to me directly. He, or I don't, I don't know how Tom Quinn acquired it. Um, but we were out to dinner, and Tom's like, hey, check this out. And I was looking at this droid. And, and it's, what it is is a, a custom... Uh, based on the, the, the R2-D2 figure, uh, a custom-casted figure with a clear dome um, and different, you know, completely different paint effect, red and black, uh, with the Celebration Orlando um, logo on there. And it blew my mind because for a number of different reasons. One, because Tom gave it to me, and I, I think he was just showing me, and I think I went so bananas that he... That was, what triggered him to give that he, he waited till later he's so classy <laughs> later on like he, like i was headed back to my room he hands me the figure he says hey will you keep an eye on this for me and i don't even get it i'm like oh yeah sure dude and i go back into my room and i'm like why do i have to keep an eye on this for him where is he he's he's way past his bedtime he's going to bed <laughs> like what am i doing with this 
And it wasn't until the next day I was like, is this? He's like, that's yours. You know, keep it. I'm like, dude, <laughs> I, I didn't, you know, floored, right? So that that was a really special piece and it inspired me in a lot of ways. Uh, it got me thinking about um, that, first of all, that that could be done. Um, and it started planting ideas in my head for droids that I would love to see made, which then led to me going on YouTube to see how things are casted and molded, and I've started casting and molding my own custom droids. Which is incredible, and if you're listening to this and you've given out swag before or you've had an idea for something or you've connected with somebody, that's the kind of effect that we have on one another, you know, in that that these people who are so creative who are in our community who do stuff like this from from one simple gesture of making something like that from celebration orlando caused you now tyler to to want to make your own droids and to to figure out how to engineer doing that yeah it's been it's it started with the um with the shutdown Uh, i finally had the time to kind of start messing around with some of that stuff Mm -hmm. And it's taken a long time. I mean, like everything, I guess, but it was a lot harder than I, than I thought. A lot of work goes into it, a lot of thinking. Um, but it was fun thinking. It was fun trying to figure out um, how it was made. And it really brings in an appreciation of the figure. When you start to figure out how to cast something, you really start to look at the details. And once you start looking at the details, you see the figure in a different way. And you start kind of getting transported back to the day when someone sculpted that and created that, you know, you you start to see all the little geometric shapes and the cuts and the curves. And, and, um, so it opened up this whole new world of collecting to me where I have a whole new appreciation for, um, the sculpt, the sculpts that go into the figures, the work that goes into, into these toys. Um, and so it's been, it's been really fun and exciting and challenging and devastating (laughs) at times. Uh, figuring that out, but um, ultimately, yeah, we're trying to make some cool-looking droids, and and uh, it's fun. It's a good time. What were some of the challenges that you had in crafting and casting a droid? Um, the the big challenge with creating a mold for starters is getting getting something that's going to capture the piece and let all of the air out of the mold. If an air bubble gets trapped inside of your mold when you're pouring your liquid resin or your liquid plastic inside of that mold, it's gonna bounce around in there and creates a big empty spot. So you need to put in vents in specific places and you need to think about the orientation of the piece in the mold, how gravity comes into play. So there was a lot of trial and error uh, in figuring out the body of R2, which is a tube, you know, so it, it needed the mold needed to come apart in a way that like a tube could basically be removed. Mm-hmm. Um, that took a while to figure out. Um, the legs uh, were also challenging. They have the most detail, uh, especially around the peg where it plugs into the body. You know, that was that's a real tight area, so we had to make sure that we get silicone on that first properly, and then when you pour the resin in it, making sure that it fills that area without mm-hmm. trapping a bubble. So been a lot of stuff like that there's been a lot of little things when i first started looking into casting and molding every video i saw said pick something simple first <laughs> to try and i'm like i don't want to cast something simple i want to cast this r2d2 <laughs> and in my mind i was like well i just take it apart i have five simple pieces here but 
Um, it was anything but simple. So I give credit to anyone who does that work. Um, there's a lot of people who do it better than, than I do. And I, I nod my, my cap to them because it, it's challenging, but it's, it's rewarding. It's fun. And you also have to think about the details, too, that we don't usually think about, like adding peg holes, um, having a dome that clicks you know, when you turn it. And, and how, do you, how do you engineer it so that it does the things you want it to do and stays together and, and looks like the item that you're, you're trying to create. Right, yeah. The goal was um, to create a figure that if you were to close your eyes and hold it in your hand, you it would feel like a Kenner figure. Mm-hmm. If you turn his head, it, it clicks like a Kenner figure. Uh, but when you look at it, I'm my designs are such that they are nowhere near anything that was ever produced either domestic or foreign bootleg or right or like you're, you're not trying to replicate uh the r2d2 that came out or any of the r2d2s or r5s you're you're creating your own droids with different um different colors different styles labels everything like yeah that. i tried to go all out and try to again make something that is you know it has the peg holes it has the click it's got all the, the things that make you think of a Kenner Star Wars R2-D2 figure, but completely off the wall with the colors and the styles um, and uh, the techniques that I'm using to, to pour some of these colors in. Uh, so I'm just scratching the surface on some of that now. I'm just, I've just actually this week gotten to where my recipe, my recipes for molds and pouring and all that sort of work, you know? So now I'm just polishing it up, making it a little more consistent, making some gifts for friends. Mm-hmm. You've shown me some stuff, and I honestly had no idea of the amount of work and time and consideration that goes into planning how to design one and then how to make it so that you're able to continually make these things and make them the way that you envision them to be, uh, which is, I have to say, is extremely creative, and uh, it's always exciting to see what you produce. So oh, Thanks, man. It, it's amazing. I, I think... Um, Celebration Orlando for the two of us really sparked our imaginations, uh, connected us to the community even more, and then just kind of set us on these really interesting paths. Yeah, that's where I met you. That's <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That was our yes. that was our first meeting. So yeah, Celebration Orlando. Speaking was- of here, yeah. Uh, so there are two pieces in your collection that I'm very familiar with because <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're they're kind of the the connection point. They're they're the the, they're from the day that we met, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. Um, walked into the room sales at Celebration. Um, as with everything else, with my, it was my first Celebration. It was just, I couldn't believe, every minute was just like, I can't believe this is happening. Here we are at room sales. Um, everyone's lining up with just some of the coolest uh, Star Wars gear. Uh, and my first, you know, so I'm going to work the room counterclockwise. So I started off to the right, and right you were, my, you were right in the corner, right in the front of the room. Um, had a little you know, blanket spread out, all these figures, and the first thing I spotted were um, the colorful droids characters that you had, which I, I still needed at the time. And uh, we, I got down on the floor, you got down on the floor, and, and uh, we started haggling. <laughs> <laughs> and we figured it out. Absolutely. We figured it out, yeah. And I and I walked, and they're, they still, I, I stand them next to one another. It was a, you know, it was really, you know, we've become great friends in that time, and um, so that was a cool, a cool jump off point. And they're, they're just, they're such great characters. I love the colorful, crazy droids and Ewoks characters. And you've set up the droids and Ewoks characters in a way that I've, I've never seen before. Yeah, they needed their own little space in the collection room. Uh, so I used the mail away, um, 
what's that called? The Mailway Empire Strikes Back display arena, I think they yes. called it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just was the perfect size to get all those characters in one spot. So it's these interlocking blocks that you could arrange in different patterns, and then they also had different backdrops. So they had one from space, one from Hoth, one from Dagobah, and then one from the end sequence uh, from when Luke, Leia, R2-D2, and C-3PO are in, I think, the medical bay, Mm -hmm. the medical uh, freighter. And so you have those backdrops, and then you have all of the droids figures on the left side on these different movable... Uh, displayable stands, and then you have the Ewok stuff on the right. So it's a really cool way of doing it. It ties it, you know, a lot of times people look at the droids and Ewok stuff almost as outside of vintage because they weren't in the original trilogy, but in doing it in this way, I think it really even ties it together even more. So nice job. Thank you. Yeah, they're part of the family for sure. Yeah, yeah. So you have here uh, two display cases that are not Star Wars related, but they are Kenner related. And the first one's really interesting. So it's it's what the Jabba sail barge is, is perched on top of, and um, it's this it's this white sectional shelf um, that has acrylic in the front of it, and the top four boxes are filled with all of one important line that I, I know you you love entirely. Yep, sister to the Star Wars line, the Kenner Indiana Jones line i i loved indiana jones when i discovered it and you know it was a great you know i loved han solo from the original trilogy so of course how could you not love indiana jones um indiana jones figures you know collecting the late 80s again there was not much in stores but i actually found indiana jones figures on clearance at my local toy store it's called joy store actually joe o'neill's dad uh, that was his store, as we found Joe out. Joe O'Neill is a fellow Empire State Star Wars Collectors Club member. Yeah, yeah so that was a cool, uh, a cool connection. Um, so yeah, so that's that's got a, a special place uh, alongside of the Star Wars toys for sure. Um, yeah, so that's that's the indie cabinet, and then over in the other cabinet, keeping with the Kenner theme, is my collection of mask toys, which. Mask was the toy line for me as a kid that I could go to the store and actually buy. Star Wars was my always my main jam, but it was always flea markets, garage sales, uh, what do you have in your parents' basement mm-hmm. uh, kind of a thing. But Mask was I could go to the store and have that experience of like what's on the shelf, what's new. And I didn't have much as I had the Raven and I had the Iguana um, growing up and then... It just, I never got rid of them. Like, I never really did anything with it, but I never, you know, I focused on Star Wars for a number of years, and um, I, they just kept sticking around, and every now and again, I'd just take them out, like, man, these are really cool. They're just really neat. Um, and then to stand back and look at what Kenner did, uh, how could you not love the line? Star Wars was coming to an end. They needed an idea, and they stood back, and they literally combined G.I. Joe... Transformers and put all of their characters in Boba Fett helmets, and it just blew up. <laughs> and it, and it, um, they had, and what I, the other thing I liked about it was Kenner developed this whole idea. And like a lot of franchises of that day, they had a cartoon created, mm-hmm. and the cartoon became the advertisement for, for the toys. I like the way you display this stuff too, because the, the mask stuff is in one large 
glass display case. So it's, it's wide open. Again, you have really beautiful lighting, and you have the Kenner logo. Is that made out of wood? That's a, that's a, I found that on eBay some years back. I believe it's just a 3D printed 3D printed design. Okay, and it's, it's in the, the white and light blue um, for the logo, which, which, you know, the iconic colors. And then you just have these glass shelves in this display um, where you have all the vehicles and all the figures and stuff around it. And again, it's just, as you were putting this together and we were talking about it, um, you know, over the past few months too, it's been really nice to see as you've been acquiring new pieces and putting it together. And it's just nice to see the entire mask line in a Star Wars room and in one spot too. So you did a beautiful job on this. Um, that's not the entire. Almost the entire. Not even, no. Not even the entire. <laughs> no, it, it started, um, it kind of organically grew. I mean, I, I, I'm super limited on space in here. Star Wars is, is, the main, is the main focus, but I really wanted mass to be represented in that case. So in my mind, I am so spatially unaware I was going to put one of everything in that case <laughs> in like a scene of rivers and rock beds, similar. If you're familiar with the toy line, um, the toys came with a, a poster. You'd unfold the poster. And it was mm-hmm. this really cool art of all of the vehicles in battle. I'm like, Oh man, I'm going to create that in the showcase. There's going to be this, there's going to be that. And then you get your tape measure out and you're like, Nope, you're not, you know, all right, maybe I'll just fit one of everything <laughs> in there that didn't happen either (laughs) uh so it just kind of turned into a rotating display i've got basically most of season one and or not season one um series one and series two uh in the case of a little bit of series three and it was important to me to get them all in their action uh mode uh which was a little challenging because a lot of them are are planes or or you know the flying craft of some sort so I used like these little acrylic stands to, to get them up off the ground. Mm. Um, but yeah, it, it, this is a more of a newer display for me, and I'm I'm psyched. I definitely would like to keep going with it and see if I can put together a full set. And it's beautiful, and it's really helped me to appreciate the line even more uh, because I, I had a number of these uh, vehicles growing up as well too. I had the Rhino, I had the Thunderhawk, and I love them. But seeing you know a large section of the line together here in one shot is just is great. And seeing these in these sort of action sequences and poses like the way you have them, beautiful. Thanks, uh, dude. Yeah, it was. It's crazy that 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 mask toy line has done so well. I think it's got to be one of the best, most appreciated toy lines still to this day. And all it had was that cartoon series. There was never a movie or right. or any. There were some comic books. I mean, there's some stuff like that, but no real main no. Uh, driving. It uh, hasn't been relevant in 30 years when you think about it. Right, but still, I mean, people, myself yeah. included, love it. So yeah. it's, a, it's a great line. It was designed really well, mm-hmm. and, you know, there's a lot of intricate mechanisms, but they were built substantially that, you know, these all still work. And then we will close with a gorgeous piece. I, I don't know how this was crafted or where you got it, but so you basically have... Um, all of the figures from the Kenner Star Wars line, and you have it in a case, one large rectangular case, uh, and then it each you have like a, a thinner rectangle on either side, and they all have that yellow staircase uh, that we're so familiar with, you know, from the backs of the cards. Uh, it says Star Wars underneath it with, in the logo, and again, just another well lit, beautiful case. Did somebody make this for you? Yes. So that. Um, my father built 
that whole thing, but at different times. So um, again, I was I was displaying from the early '80s on uh, card back scenes and and Kenner scenes. Um, and my dad knew that. So, and he knew that I was starting to put together a good collection of complete figures. So for my 18th birthday, he surprised me and built me that center, the center portion of that case. Mm -hmm. And it just was, you know, I, you know, you get certain memories that like get locked in. I mean, that I remember seeing that for the first time, just being blown away. Um, at that time, I could only fill up to the bottom row, so I didn't have, um, I only had about 50 complete characters. Um, but he's, my dad is, you know, I mentioned earlier, he's an amazing craftsman. He builds beautiful train layouts um, that uh, echo the, the era of his toys, so, you know, 30s and 40s. Um, and you can see he like he was able to see artistically that those yellow stairs had like an orange hue at the bottom because of the way the shadows were. So he was able to do some sort of spray painting to create that fade or that um, I don't know what they call it that ombre ombre yeah, ombre, yeah. yeah. effect yeah. between the two colors. Mm -hmm. um, and then for so that was on my 18th birthday, exactly 18 years later on my 36th birthday. He built me the two supplemental cases to go on the ends because by that time I did have a full run, a, a complete run of uh, Star Wars figures. And they seem to fit 15 figures each in the supplemental cases as well, too. So, Right. Yep. So, yeah, so I was 30. Yeah, I, I needed 30 more spots. So it, it, the math worked out. As long as I put blue snag up it with, you know, I cheated and put the blue snag next to the red snag. Um, but yeah, it worked out. I could do 15 in each case and that would get one of every character except the band. And it, it really is just such a beautiful way to, to highlight these figures and to display them. And the fact that this, these cases came from your dad, I think, you know, you're probably going to cherish them for the rest of your life. That's yeah. I mean, if I, I have a lot of special things in my collection, but if you ask me to narrow down to just one thing, I think it would have to be those cases, you know, with, with you know, they're just the one full run of figures is, is uh, yeah, super special. Mm -hmm. And now you're, you're carrying on your dad's legacy of being a, a craftsman, and now you're doing that with, with the, the droids as well, too, with crafting your own droids. Before we go, uh, you mentioned to me that you have a very cool blue snaggletooth story. Yeah, I love blue snaggletooth. So back collecting in early on, I think before... I even knew that Ben had white and gray hair and Luke had different colored hair. Um, maybe I knew about the Han Solo large and small head, but mm -hmm. definitely knew about Blue Snaggletooth. And it was just this white whale that I never thought I'd ever see or, you know, collect, trying to collect the way I was collecting and, you know, just through um, secondhand. Um, I was over at a friend's house once and he had an older brother who was great, you know, we all, you know, he was really good to us, even though we were a bit younger than him. And he had a ton of toys, and he was, he'd always talked about it, and he's like, yeah, I got all these toys in my barn, you gotta come out and see sometime. Well, finally, we, we get out to this, this barn, and the barn had a dirt floor. And we walk in, and I don't remember much else that was in there, but because something totally stole the show. I looked down on the ground, 
and sticking up out of the dirt, I could see a hand, a little action figure hand. And I got down and, and like an archaeologist just gently like pulled it free. And there it was. It was a blue snag. <laughs> and I'm holding it in my hand. And it was just one of those like surreal moments. Like, am I dreaming? Like, did I, I mean, you just pulled a blue snag out of the ground like a carrot. <laughs> like, <laughs> no kidding. In standing there in that disbelief, I look over. I start looking at the floor a little closer. I see another little protrusion sticking up and I go over and I start unearthing it second blue snack oh my god <laughs> and he was so he was super cool he was he was um he was like oh take those and we'll figure out you know a, you know a fair deal for him and I was like ah, I don't feel really comfortable doing that I, like you know and I was I was like I think these are worth a lot of even though they're beat up I think they're worth a lot of money um so at home and you know, I had to go back to my, my collector dad. I'm like, hey, guess what? You'll never believe what happened. Just pulled two blue snags out of the ground like it was nothing. Um, so a few months later for Christmas, I opened up a gift for my parents. And what my, my dad was always, he again, he got the toy collecting thing. So he was always like being sneaky and trying to figure out where he could score some cool collectibles for me. Uh, and he had circled back to my friend and he bought the blue snags and and I and I opened them up that Christmas so they are the ones that are there's one in my case and one over in the uh, the cardboard cantina I've gotten some other blue snags since then that are much much nicer mm-hmm. um, but those those beat up two beat up blue snags are my are my babies understandable Tyler thank you so much for taking me through your your collection it is it's just been amazing just sitting in here you have such a beautiful room and it's so cool to see the loose figures, the vehicles, the play sets, um, the pieces that your parents created, and uh, and just even you know the the non Star Wars Kenner stuff as well too. And you even have you know some modern stuff as well. So Rogue One uh, stuff from the Force Awakens, a beautiful almost you know six foot tall Chewbacca Force Awakens display. And uh, gosh, I just. I love seeing it. It's always fun to visit another collector, but I just, I love you so much, and I'm just so glad we, we could do this. It's yeah, just... I love you back, brother. Thank you for being here. Thanks for hanging with me. Thanks for doing this, this interview, and I had a good time doing it. <laughs>